This is Alone With Our Principles Podcast, Episode 8, Wax On, Wax Off. I'm Chris. And I'm Eric, and we are both elementary school principals in the Spirit Unified School District in Southern California. On this episode, we discuss movies with examples of good teaching and leadership. Alone With Our Principles is unofficially sponsored by Walkie Talkies. The name may sound like a kindergartner made it up, but nothing says I'm in charge here like a fast-paced walk with your finger on the talk button. mess with bull, young man. You'll get the horns. You've got a real attitude problem, McFly. You're a slacker. So far this semester, he has been absent nine times. I'm the principal, man. Well, uh, this is a little different. So we had originally, up until just a few hours ago, I planned an episode with a couple of special guests, right. which we still will have. Mm-hmm. Uh, but such is life, uh, you know, they had to postpone. So you guys are stuck with just us today. And just us, of course, I mean, Chris and I, and of course, our, our new member of our team, Miss Miss Carrie Lewis, our fact checker, extraordinary editor. She's the one with the earphones on. That's right. That makes her go. look official. How are you doing today, Carrie? I am doing wonderful. Thank you. All right. Ah, oh, so I guess we can start with uh, with the quiz because I think over the course of the previous episodes, um, we've both answered at least two of the questions. Right. So let's start the quiz. Oh, Dad, you sounded like Dirty Harry just there. One of the questions that I don't think either one of us have addressed is the one that we ask all our guests, which is uh, talk about a skill, talent, or hobby that you would, might surprise your colleagues or students. So, Chris, why don't you go first? Yeah, um, th- there was a couple, but the one that I think uh, would be most surprising, especially um, to, to our colleagues that don't know, I mean, at our school I use it all the time, but uh, my bachelor's degree is actually in jazz studies. I played trumpet from the time I was in fourth grade all the way through college. Jazz studies, that's yeah. a thing. Yeah, yeah composition, wow. harmony, piano. Um, it's really fascinating. Jazz history, no, it's, it's great. But, you know, for the longest part of my life, really from elementary school through, through college graduation, music was my main focus. I would practice two, three, four hours a day. Wow. And, yeah, um, so I played at Riverside City College. We got to go on tour. We played at Disney World. Oh, cool. Yeah, that would have been in 1986 at the Disney Collegiate Jazz Festival. And the highlight of that was we were playing on the stage in Tomorrowland. And it's the stage that rises yeah. up out of it, right? That's where they ended up doing the Star, Star Wars. Yeah. And... So, um, so this was in Florida. And when you set up to go on stage, you're underground. Right. So you're setting all your, set, all your stuff up on the stage, underground. And I had um, the featured solo on the first song that we were playing. So there I am at the front of the stage ready to go up. And now we just got on the ground. So we didn't see what was going on. no idea what's going on. No. Um, yeah. So, uh, but, but we did know where we were going. We were following the university of central Florida, which was like the home team basically. Oh my gosh. And we were right before the university of Texas. Now keep in mind, we're Riverside city college from Riverside. So we're a tiny little school between these two powerhouse universities. So I'm there at the front of the stage and it's going up. Okay, as the stage is going up, right, yeah. all of a sudden we get there, and just as I'm seeing this sea of people with like the Epcot ball in the background and the whole deal, you hear the Disney voice from Riverside, California, and it's like, oh my goodness! And then we just hit it, and it was gone. It was just the coolest experience. So you didn't freeze up. You didn't no, get like no, stage no. for everything. But. No, I was. It, you know, it what tends to happen with me. Um, I'll be nervous like for two hours ahead of time, but the minute you're in the moment. It just seems to kind of go away mostly. Um, so then after Riverside City College, I went to Cal State LA, which was uh, back in the 80s, a very well-known uh, jazz program, which is why I went there in the first place. And we made a couple of albums there. And in fact, a lot of the musicians that were in that band went on. One is currently touring with, well, while they were still touring going on, he was touring with Phil Collins, played trombone in Phil Collins' band for the longest time. Mm-hmm. Um, his name was Louis Bonilla, or is Louis Bonilla. And, you know, with Phil Collins, he played for the um, for a jazz band, a house band in New York City for the longest time. Really, really top-notch trombone player. Um, another trombone player that, that I uh, actually went to Riverside City College with and Cal State LA, Alex Henderson, uh, is the trombone player for Big Bad Voodoo Daddy. I'm familiar. Yeah. yeah. Local local product, aren't they? Yeah. They're from... Uh, I'm not sure. Um, but 
And then uh, one of the percussionists um, played percussion for the Beastie Boys oh. uh, for a while. So, yeah, a lot. Of, and, and almost all of the members of that jazz band those couple years that I was there are now either college music professors, professional musicians, some are elementary and high school music teachers. Uh, I'm one of the handful that went into other professions. So it, it's really kind of a nice kick to reality to me where I'll, I'll still play once in a while. So we have somebody that plays with Phil Collins, and then you've got me who actually got gonged in the Ham Spam's gong show a few years ago. That's true. That was messed up. That's that's still a, a raw spot for you. It is. It? I'm not going to mention the person's name, um, but she dispatched me from the stage after doing <laughs> a, an interesting job of policing the activity, if you know what I'm saying there. Yes, um, I think. But yeah, so that would be that would be my skill that not everybody is familiar with. Um, yeah, I was a trumpet player. That was one of my defining um, characteristics for the longest time. I don't know if, you know... I, you bring up a question for me, for you, because you and I have known each other for years, but, you know, you've talked about, and those that listen to our podcast know about a lot of your stories from childhood in, in Jersey, New York area, right. um, then you just shared about your college experience in, in L.A. How did that happen? How did you get from one coast to the other? Oh, yeah, um, after my sophomore year of high school, um, my dad was uh, working for a company called ITT Cannon, and he was um, being promoted through the company, and they had offered him this management position, and... To accept it, he had to come out to their, their main office, which is in Fountain Valley. Oh, okay. uh, so um, during the second half of my sophomore year of high school, my parents flew out. Um, they bought a house in Corona, where they still are. And, yeah, they moved us all out the summer between 10th and 11th grade, which is... That's a tough time it to was relocate. a very tough time. But, uh, again, to tie it back in, though, it was, it was being in music that really kind of helped me with that transition because, like I said, I had started in elementary school. And then when we came out to California, uh, I was going to I was going to go to Norco High School, and over the summers when they had band camp, so um, you had all the rehearsals and everything for marching band before school even started. So I met all the band people about a month before school. So by the time the first day of school rolls around, when you're the new kid and you're nervous about everything, I already had my group of friends established. Yeah. So it made that transition a whole lot easier. And then a couple of years at Norco High, and then it's really an entire subculture, isn't it? It band, really is. Band. People, yeah. band members, bandmates in school. And, you, know. you always take pride in it. I mean, you've never heard anybody say, well, this neighborhood was great until all those band kids moved in. No, <laughs> I mean, we're just happy go. Now, there are subgroups within the music sure, culture. Sure. Um, trumpet players are known for having the huge egos. Drummers are known for being, well, drummers, um, degenerates, basically. Um, again, it's stereotypes. I'm just saying. Um, but they're stereotypes for a reason. Um, That's so. funny because, you know, I am not a musician. I played trombone one year in elementary school and realized it wasn't for me. Um, but, it, like, it's certainly not a talent, but something that has always been kind of in the back of my mind, like something, you know, one of those bucket list things I'm going to do one day, always wanted to learn to play the drums. I've always just, you know, been kind of enamored with percussion and rhythms and, you know, all those things. So If life has taught me anything, Eric, it's never too late to learn. Yeah. So. But, but now I would be labeled as a degenerate by some people in the room if I became the drum player. <laughs> well, you're assuming you're not already labeled that. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> no, about, not at all. So, Eric, what about you? What's a hidden talent, skill, or ability that you have? Um, gosh, I don't have as many stories about it. But you know what? Um, something that may surprise some people is I love to cook. I love to cook. I, I, um, you know, but I've always told people to me, cooking and baking are two very different things. Right. I do not like to bake different types of dishes, creating my own recipes, following recipes, um, and kind of going along with that. You know, one of my favorite things to do when I have free time is barbecue. Okay. So, you know, regular grilling, uh, more traditional Texas style smoking. I've, I've owned charcoal smokers and electric smokers and wood smokers and recently switched over to a, a Traeger. Oh, recently, it's been a couple of years now. Um, so I, you know, I, I love to just smoke all kinds of meats. Um, I love to barbecue. I read my newest purchase. I just purchased one of these Blackstone griddles. Okay. That, I don't know if you've seen these, if anybody's no. familiar with these. It's, it's a griddle, but it's a stainless steel, more of a professional grade than something you'd plug in in your kitchen. It's an outdoor griddle, and uh, so I bought it for uh, so we can go camping, but I've been using it. The first time I took it out, I used it for six days straight because I just I was cooking <laughs> fried rice and hamburgers and, and seafood and, you know, you name it. So, um, so yeah. There you I go, mean, kids. Here's your, here's your Captain Crunch from the smoker. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I mean, it's it, there's certain things in my house because of that have become tradition. Big breakfast every weekend. Nice. That's just what thing my I would think that my kids will remember me for. They will. No, they'll definitely Because it's that. just that's just what we do. And it's like on the rare occasion when I have to work on a Saturday or I'm not feeling well, we got other things going on. It's like what 
they're, they're just out of sorts, man. It's like, where's the bacon and the eggs and the, you know, the fresh shredded hash browns? And So what's um, your signature dish? Like, say you're having friends over for dinner and you're going to cook something. Um, let's not talk to whole meal, but if you had to make one, what's your specialty? What would you serve that night? Um, I would think of a couple things. Depending on the season, um, I would grill something. You know, I mean, something as simple as, you know, grilled hamburgers or um, last time we had guests over, which has been a while, I, you know, I found a recipe for, you know, handmade hamburgers. So I, you know, ground meat and the, the ingredients and all that made the burgers. They were good. But um, I'm partial to Mexican food. Okay. So I had never had true pozole, which I don't know if you're familiar with. It's a, it's a it's a Mexican style soup and it's got hominy in it and usually like diced pork and a red chili sauce. Um, never had it to my wife taught me about what it was um and i decided to make my own version which instead of pork it would have chicken and instead of red sauce it would have green sauce so i just started t tweaking the recipe and, and, and playing with it and coming up with it and as it turned out people really liked it okay. I, I even ended up sharing it with some of her family in texas there's the um, real test yeah and they were like oh my gosh you know because they had come out once and we'd made it for them and so they were asking for the recipe. I'm like, well, I, I don't write these things down. I just kind of do it. Do it. That good. tastes good. That tastes good. So, you know, that um, I've recently been trying to teach myself how to make like homemade enchilada sauce. I love Mexican food, but I'm, I'm kind of past like the canned prefabricated enchilada sauce. So I started uh, just recently. I, I learned how to take like the actual dried chilies that you can find in, in, in the, you know, the Mexican uh, food store, the Mexican section of the market. And you have like the dried guajillo chilies, New Mexico chilies. And I learned how to actually boil those down. And make a fresh sauce out of it. So I just kind of like experimenting. That's that you know that it's one of the things that I wish I was better at. Um, yeah. You know I I have like maybe two or three things I can make a good uh, copycat turkey chili recipe from Panera. Yeah. I can yeah. follow a recipe for the most part, but right. as far as being creative with something, I don't. Uh, you know I haven't taken the time to learn that. But you know listening to you talk about the different smokers that you work through, mm -hmm. uh, it just seems like w whenever you have a hobby, it doesn't matter how simple you think that hobby is going to be. You, you can uh, you know find out it's going to be this bottomless pit of things you can buy. Yeah. Um, no pun intended for the barbecue pit. Anyway. Um, boom. But yeah, I got into I got into distance running thinking oh, all right. I got to do is buy a pair of shoes. Yeah. Talk to my wife about how much money goes into our. Are running and when it comes to race fees and hotels and trips. Well, that's commercialism, right? I mean, yeah. all of a sudden, like you get into, I get into barbecue and I'm like, oh my gosh, there's this whole world out there of gadgets that you have to have well, because I mean, you just do. It's like I cannot cook another time without that thing. <laughs> how have I so you're an Amazon? How have I made it so far? How have I gone this long without a watch that measures my breathing, my heart rate, my exactly. VO2 max? And I don't even know what a VO2 max is. I thought it was something that you use in your hair, but but I have to anyway, have one. I don't know. Uh, so, all right. Well, that's, you know, that's, I think closes out the quiz, yeah. uh, questions for us over time. So yep. we will segue now into our main topic for the day. You've just started school and the path you choose now may be the one you follow for the rest of your life. So today we wanted to talk about, um, leadership or teaching, um, moments or, uh, in movies, uh, that we've seen. And it doesn't necessarily have to be a movie about education. There's great ones. There's Lean on Me about the principal from New Jersey. Um, uh, what's the one with uh, Michelle Pfeiffer? Um, where Dangerous she's, Minds. Yeah, Dangerous Minds. Oh, I'm pretty impressed. There you go. <laughs> that was right here. Carrie was all set to fact check that one, and Eric uh, pulled it out of the out of the hat there. That was a good. Um, one. So, uh, but really, any any teachable moments that we've seen in or leadership moments that we've seen in film. So, uh, you want to go ahead and start? What do you got, Eric? We'll sure. Do, so we'll do three each. Let, let's count, each come yeah, up with we'll three. Take a turn. So I'll, I'll start yeah. with one, and this is the first one that I I actually came up with that I thought made a lot of sense, and that is you know the holiday classic. It's a Wonderful Life. Oh, one of my so, favorites. Yeah. But also a movie that apparently, according to my research at least, maybe we can check this, but when it originally came out, bombed at the box offices. It was not originally a hit. It became popular much later, I think after the director's passing, Frank Capra. Okay. Um, but of course now it's kind of a staple in most households that celebrate Christmas and the holidays every year. Every at some Christmas point Eve. it's playing at my house. I know yeah. it is. I think you had shared that yeah. in your house it is. Every Christmas but uh, those in the movie, there's, there's several characters. But Clarence, you have George Bailey, right, who is the... Uh, the dad, the husband, the brother yeah. uh, has a lot of roles in this movie, and uh, you know gets himself kind of a you know into a into a situation where things are just the world's falling in on him, and um, you know basically cries out that you know I just wish I'd never been born. And so Clarence, his guardian angel, comes right. along, and, <laughs> I and love Clarence. Clarence is fantastic. But <laughs> uh, you know, thinking of teachers in kind of a unique way, Clarence is not a teacher; he's a guardian angel, but. Right. 
what a guardian angels in theory at least do right and so there's so many points in the movie where clarence is his whole point is to teach george a lesson about you know kind of be careful what you wish for and so the, the main crux of the movie is he spends the time showing george bailey what life would have been like had he not been born and for all intents and purposes things are not good right with his family or who would have been his wife oh, yeah. his brother um who i think if i'm not mistaken his brother ends up dying in the war because well no his, br his brother um no he saves his brother at the beginning remember his in the ice his, yeah. br his brother harry fell through the ice and right. george saved him right well harry went on in the military um to save uh, a ship a, tra a ship transport full of soldiers that's right um and but he then, didn't save his brother in the ice. The brother didn't end up saving the men on the transport. Right. All the men. Yeah. I remember Clarence saying, "All the men on that transport died. Your brother wasn't there to save them because you weren't there to save them." Right. Yeah, right. It's, so it's just beautiful the way it unfolds. But um, you know the way that uh, the way that um, Clarence just teaches him all throughout uh, all throughout the movie. There was a couple of uh, quotes I was trying to remember. Uh, one of them, um, he inscribes in a book that he leaves with George. Remember, George, no man is a failure who has friends. Yeah. So that's obviously a very teachable moment. Um, and then he also tells George at one point, oh gosh, what is it? Oh yeah, you see, George, you really did have a wonderful life. Don't you see what a mistake it would be to just throw it away? Oh yeah. Well, and what always, to me, is so heart-wrenching about that whole movie is that George is really a servant to others and that every time he's ready to do something for himself, whether it's something to go away to way. college or whether it's to go on his honeymoon with his wife, somebody else has a need that George then fulfills. And, you know, you know, one of my favorite sayings that I heard somewhere is, you know, they always tell you that when you're flying on a plane, if there's an emergency, the oxygen mask comes down and you should always, they always tell you this and it's so counterintuitive, but they say, put on your own mask before you put on the mask of, uh, you know, of those around you. Mm -hmm. And because obviously if, if you're having trouble breathing, then you can't help anybody. Right. And I think that applies to our own lives too. If we don't take care of ourselves, whether it's physically, um, emotionally, mentally, if we don't do things for ourselves, then we can't be our best selves for others. So that's, to me, that's always my takeaway. Every, every Christmas Eve when, when my wife and I watch It's a Wonderful Life, that's always the one that rings true to me is, is that he's, every time something's set up for him, something else gets in the way. And it's, he's such a lovable character because... Like you're sitting there wanting these good things for him because he is such a servant leader and his whole life that they kind of span over in the movie is about helping others from the time he rescues his brother to the yeah. time, you know. Working at the drugstore. Uh, running, yeah, running yeah. Saving, saving somebody from Mr. Gower. Yeah. Are you sure this is Bailey Park? No, I'm not sure of anything anymore. All I know is this should be Bailey Park. But where are the houses? You went here to Belgium. Your brother, Harry Bailey, broke through the ice and was drowned at the age of nine. That's a lie. Harry Bailey went to war. He got the Congressional Medal of Honor. He saved the lives of every man on that transport. Every man on that transport died. Harry wasn't there to save them because you weren't there to save Harry. You see, George, you really had a wonderful life. Don't you see what a mistake it would be to throw it away? Right. Okay, how about you? Yeah, so you got one for us? I got, I got a few good ones here, and, and none of them are education movies, but they all have great teaching moments. Um, I'm going to start with um, the movie we talked about last time uh, when, we made, when we changed it into different movies, Top Gun. One of our perennial favorites. Yes. Uh, I mean, Top Gun is a great movie, but to me, the scene that is great leadership, and I've actually used this clip uh, with our staff at school to talk about um, how to address uh, misbehavior is the scene when Viper uh, first calls in Maverick and Goose to his office. Um, they've just had their first successful mission uh, in, in the Top Gun competition. And to celebrate, Maverick decides to buzz the tower. Uh, you know, does the flyby, spills the coffee all over the commander. So the commander then goes and just rips into Viper and... So Viper calls in um, Maverick and Goose. Gentlemen, you had a hell of a first day. The hard deck for this hop was 10,000 feet. You knew it, you broke it. 
You followed Commander Heatherly below after he lost sight of you and called no joy. Why? Sir, I had Commander Heatherly in my sights. He saw me move in for the kill. He then proceeded below the hard deck. We weren't below 10,000 for more than a few seconds. I had the shot. There was no danger, so I took it. You took it and broke a major rule of engagement. Then you broke another one with that uh, circus stunt flyby. Lieutenant Mitchell, top gun rules of engagement exist for your safety and for that of your team. They are not flexible, nor am I. Either obey them or you are history. Is that clear? Yes, sir. So, yeah, and what he does through that whole time is he, he barely raises his voice, which to me, when I was being disciplined by my dad or whatever, the quieter my dad's voice got, the more serious I took it. And Viper kind of had that same thing. It was like, you boys have had a heck of a first day. And he kind of basically walks through the whole process. He tells them what they did wrong. He tells them the consequences of their actions. Um, and then he says, basically, this isn't going to happen again. And then sends them on their way. Sounds vaguely familiar. Yeah. And then, <laughs> that um, whole process. Yeah. And then Goose, of course, then contemplates going to truck driving school, which is one of my favorite. Truck masters. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. It's like, what was the name of that truck driving school we saw on TV map? Truck masters, I think it was. I use that all the time when I'm having a bad day. Yeah. Um, truck driving school. I believe school. you and I have texted that to each other oh, a yeah. time or two. Yeah. Maybe I could be a truck just, driver. Now, at this point, it's just truck masters. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he said that to somebody. One else. of these days, I'm going to order a, a, tr a truck masters t-shirt. Uh, I'll get that. But no, I always like that scene uh, from Viper because, you know, he handles it in a very, uh, very calm way, but directly. So he gets the message. And then later on in the movie, after... Uh, spoiler alert for those of you that haven't seen Top Gun. And if you haven't, shame on you. You really, I mean, really. I mean, I guess 30... Gary, have you... I have. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. I mean... <laughs> I was almost afraid to ask. I don't really feel like it's a spoiler when the movie came out, what, 34 years ago, but... Don't say that. Oh yeah, my I know. gosh. They've been talking um, Top Gun 2 for like 10 years. Yeah, so spoiler alert. After Goose dies, um, Maverick is distraught and decides, you know, he's done. He's he's just gonna, gonna punch You're out... He's gonna of, finish school. No, he's done, and, which was understandable. Um... But before he does that, he goes to visit Viper at home on a Sunday. Mm -hmm. And uh, they go out in his backyard and Viper shares some personal stories about when he was, uh, you know, guys that he's lost during battle when he was a pilot. Uh, shares that experience, makes that connection with Maverick on a personal level. Because really up until then, it's obviously commander and pilot. Mm -hmm. they, you don't really establish a personal relationship. So this was the first you really got to see Viper and Maverick connecting as people. And he empathizes with him, and he, and he tells him, you know what, that, that spin uh, was rough, and there would be no shame if you decided to bail. And, you know, Maverick says, are you telling me to quit? And Viper says, I didn't say Emphatically, that. Emphatically, I didn't, I didn't say yeah, that. I didn't say that. Um, so, so they work it out. But him taking the time to listen, and, and it's a great leadership lesson there, is the, the more you build a relationship with the people that you work with, um, then you can be more direct uh, and more um, forceful when you need to be. And I think Mike Robbins talks about that in his new book too, uh, where it's the balance between, uh, I forget exactly the terminology he uses, but there's the balance between the, the relationship that you have and how direct you can be with people. Mm -hmm. And as long as you have the relationship, you can push them a little bit and you can push them way farther than you can if you don't. Because if you don't have the relationship and you try to come down on somebody, you're just going to be seen as the heavy, and it's not going to be as productive. So yes, I talk about that in the leadership and self deception book, which we've all three read. Yeah, address that issue. Yeah. So um, yeah, I always thought Viper was a great leader in that movie. As, as fun as that movie is for a hundred other reasons, um, Viper's a great example. Well, it doesn't hurt that it's Tom Skerritt. I mean, he just that I could not remember his name. There you go. That, I'm two for two. Oh man, Eric, you can't think of teacher movies, but I can just randomly quote. You know, there you go. I'm on a roll. Right. But yeah. All right, what do you got next? Me that movie. All right, uh, my next one, um, I'm going to go with, gosh, another one that I hopefully our audience members have seen, The Shawshank Redemption. Oh, yeah. You know, I think probably will go down in history as one of the greatest movies of all time, just based on, you know, everything I've seen about how many people are, you know, love or claim to be like my favorite movie. Um, uh, so, you know, 
Shawshank. That's another one, by the way, uh, you mentioned with It's a Wonderful Life. Shawshank Redemption did not do well at the box office. Oh, okay. But when it came out on video, it took off. Yeah. But yeah, initially when it was released in theaters, man. This story about two guys, Red and Andy, you know, two unlikely um, people from very, very different backgrounds and meet under the most unique and difficult of circumstances being locked up in prison for, for crimes that they supposedly committed. And, you know, long story short, of the course of the movie, they, uh, they form this incredible friendship. And then it kind of, uh, you know, concludes at the end of the movie when they meet each other on the beach and they both finally get released right. and, you know, kind of that happy ending idea. But I think you could go with red or Andy, either one of them as, you know, a teacher, um, because they both taught each other things during the course of their time at Shawshank. And, um, you know, I think of things like, uh, you know, camaraderie and friendship and compassion and, and understanding, all those things, uh, you know, come up as themes during the course of that movie and their, their time together. Yeah, and one, one of the iconic lines from that is what actually inspired, I think, Andy to, to make, again, spoiler alert if you haven't seen Shawshank Redemption, uh, inspires Andy to do his prison break is when uh, Red, I think, says to him, get busy living or get busy get dying. Get busy dying. Yeah, um, that kind of motivated him to take that next step. Great movie. I yeah. love Shawshank Redemption. Um, fun fact, trivia, it was based on a Stephen King short story called um, Rita Hayworth and the Shawshank Redemption. Really? Um, yeah. Stephen King? Stephen right. King, yes. It, it was written by Stephen King in a book. Um, all right, I forget the name of the book, but it's four novellas. And one of them was Shawshank Redemption. One of them was um, The Body, which became Stand By Me that that movie um oh yeah, yeah but yeah it's a little bit different in in the book uh, there's some details that they changed for the movie um but yeah that so that that's actually written by stephen king so did not know that yeah did you know that i did not know that. you learn a lot here on alone with our principles <laughs> we are we are fun and yet informative fun and informative it's a great balance yeah whatever mistakes i made i paid for them and then so that hotel that boat I don't think that's too much to ask. I don't think you ought to be doing this to yourself, Andy. Reeves. I mean, Mexico is way to hell down there, and you're in here, and that's the way it is. Yeah, right. That's the way it is. It's down there, and I'm in here. I guess it comes down to a simple choice, really. Get busy living. You get busy dying. Another one for us? I do. Um, Mr. Miyagi from The Karate Kid. Of course. A classic. An absolute classic. Um, one of my favorite movies. Um, Miyagi is just amazing in that movie. I like that movie because you have the good and the bad. You've got Miyagi, who's a great teacher, and then you've got John Kreese, the sensei for the Cobra Kai, who's oh, just sadistic. He's just horrible. Yeah, um, and he's so good at it. Too. Oh yeah, yeah. But Miyagi, um, again, I quote this one all the time too, and it kind of, you know, kind of applies to what we were talking about about your uh, buying every smoker known to known to mankind, mm -hmm. and you know, me with um, music and with uh, my running uh, gear. Um, there's a scene when Daniel is first going to train, and you know, they're out in front of the cars. And Miyagi says, all right, are you ready? And Daniel says, I guess so. I guess. And Miyagi says, Daniel-san, when walking down the street, you walk left side, safe. You walk right side, safe. You walk down the middle, sooner or later, squish like grape. Like grape. Karate is the same way. You karate do yes or karate do no. You karate do guess so. Sooner or later, squish like grape. So kind of like we're saying, if we're going to do something, and I know you and I are very similar this way, if we're going to do something, either we're not going to do it at all or we're going to do it 100%. you got to go all in. Oh, yeah. I mean, otherwise it's not worth it's not worth doing if you're not going to you can obsessively do it. I guess wouldn't be the right way to say it, but I think in reality that's how it looks. Um, but the scene um, for Miyagi that really brings it home for me uh, is – it's the culmination of Daniel's training. Mm -hmm. Daniel, of course, doesn't realize that he's been training. Miyagi's all about learn by doing, okay? So he had him wash the car. 
You had him paint the house. You sand had him the paint deck. the fence, paint sand the, fence, the deck. Sand the deck. All of this stuff, which is basically just doing chores, and Daniel eventually snaps. And he just says, what am I doing? And then, Daniel, show me wax, wax on, yeah. wax off. And every one of the things that he taught him was a specific That's skill. Walking punches. Yeah. He didn't realize that he was learning karate, but he was. So um, that teaching approach by Miyagi, um, just build the skills um, in a different context that apply across the board. So I, I thought that was a great teaching, uh, teaching strategy uh, that, that we could all use. And he got a car. I mean, after it was and gone. he got a car out of the whole thing. <laughs> he got the car. He got the girl. Uh, the whole deal. Everybody wants to be Daniel LaRusso. Uh, yeah. Have you seen Cobra Kai? I've seen little bits one? and pieces of it. Oh, I think it's on Netflix You now. have to watch it. It you was originally it, it on is, YouTube. I it's think. so good. It's everything you want it to be as a Karate Kid fan. And it's a lot of the same actors too, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't want to... I'm not going to... That's too recent. I'm not going to spoil any of that. But if you're a fan, if you're listening, if you're a fan of Karate Kid, you have to watch Cobra Kai because everything you want to be in it is in it. And they tell it... Johnny is actually the protagonist now. So you get his whole perspective... And, and what I like about it is Johnny, you empathize with, and Daniel, growing up, Daniel's kind of a jerk. So Isn't he a car salesman. Yeah, I watched a couple episodes, yeah. and then I, I I didn't have a subscription, so I he's couldn't. kind of a kind of a jerk. So it's it's definitely worth watching if you're if you're a karate kid. Basically, fan. picks up like oh, twenty years, years, years later, later, right? Yeah. If they're all grown up. And yeah, no, it's and Daniel, of course, is living off of the karate championship he won in the eighties. Uh, yeah, no, it's 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 very cool, but yeah, like there like there aren't there aren't other reasons to be a celebrity in Encino, or the Valley, but you know suddenly a twenty year old, thirty year old karate championship makes you a celebrity car salesman. But yeah. Hey. Oh, Mr. Miyagi, I forgot to give this back to you last night. Uh, you keep. Oh, thanks a lot. Sir, ready? Well, yeah, I guess so. And your son must talk. Walk on the road. Hmm? Walk right side, safe. Walk left side, safe. Walk middle, sooner or later, get a squish, just like grip. Here, karate, same thing. Either you karate do yes, or karate do no. You karate do guess so, just like grip. Understand? Yeah, I understand. Now ready. All right. So uh, let's do one more each. What do you got? For my last movie, I'm just going to start with this. I'm just going to start with a quote. Hopefully, I'm right in thinking this is probably one of the most famous quotes in movie history. Life is like a box of chocolates. Okay. You never know what you're going to get. Forrest, Forrest Gump. Forrest Gump. Right? So many teachable moments. That is one of them uh, in that movie. I think another one is uh, Stupid Is, a Stupid Death. <laughs> Not quite as deep, a little more superficial, but right. nonetheless, thanks to lean from that. But you know, uh, what a what an epic feature! And you watch this 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 character, this man Forrest, and the way that he he approaches life and kind of has this ignorance about him, and ignorance is bliss, and not really realizing that he's different from everybody else. He just knows what he knows, and this is you know this is the way I operate from the, from uh, from very early on, and when he's you know playing football and and running, and uh, then you know joining the military and. Uh, ping pong yeah. champion ping pong oh, champion yeah. and uh you know but uh you know pretty cool character and yeah. there's a lot to learn from that movie well the and the part of that that i mean i'll admit it man i tear up at the end of that movie the scene when forrest walks into jenny's apartment mm-hmm. and sees little Haley joel osmond in his first feature film trivia um is a name for us. He also. sees little Forrest, and and it's funny. It's funny as can be, and um, he says his name's Forrest. Uh, I named him after his father, and Forrest goes, "He's got a daddy named Forrest too." Not realizing that he's yeah. the daddy that they're talking about. Right. But the moment when Forrest, I don't remember this when he when he looks at Jenny and with tears in his eyes, I forget the exact wording, but he says, "Is he? It's like, is he like me?" Yeah, Meaning yeah. that because so that's the first time you realize that Forrest is aware of of his limitations. Right. And it's his hope as a dad now that his son doesn't have those same thing. And yeah. just seeing the real Tom Hanks is the best actor of our time. Let's just get let's just get that out there. But and you love me some Tom Hanks. Oh ju- just to see that moment of Forrest's realization that he's completely aware of who he is. That that 
That hits me every time. I, I'll admit it. You know, do we need to get the tissues? Chris is. I'll tell you, my wife it embarrasses her no end. Um, that you know, we'll be saying we'll watch like American Idol, you know, and somebody's singing, and she'll look over me and she goes, "Are you teared up?" And I'm like, "He was selling paint in Philadelphia. Where you going? Now he's a music star." I don't. What can I say? I, you know, it's hopeless romantic. I'm a sensitive guy. What can I tell you? What's your sole purpose in this army? To do whatever you tell me, drill sergeant? Come! You're a genius. That's the most outstanding answer I've ever heard. You must have an IQ of 160. You are gifted, Private Gump. Listen up, people! Now, for some reason, I fit in the army like one of them round pegs. It's not really hard. You just make your bed real neat and remember to stand up straight. And always answer every question with, yes, Drill Sergeant. Is that clear? Yes, Drill Sergeant! All right. All right, so I think you still got one more, yeah? Did oh, you, did yeah. You do three, I think. Yeah, I got one more. Um, and this is a team teaching situation from uh, a great sports movie, Remember the Titans. Yeah. Um, Coach Boone, played by Denzel Washington, and Coach Yost, played by somebody else. And... Um, again, for those of you that haven't seen the movie, it takes place in, uh, in 1971, uh, is the setting for it. It's, it's, uh, movies in the nineties, but it's set in 71 and they're combining two high schools. Uh, there was a, a black high school and the white high school, and now they're combining at a new school, TC Williams, and they're combining, they're bringing the coach from the Based black on a school. true story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So now they're combining the two coaches. So now they're moving, uh, coach Boone, Denzel Washington to be the head coach at TC Williams and the four and the the white coach from the other school is going to be the assistant coach. So now one is essentially being demoted and there's the friction between them because Boone is coming in saying, I'm the head coach. It's my team. I'll let you run the defense and do your thing. And Yost is saying, Hey, I knew what I was doing long before you got here. And then of course there's all the friction between the players. That's a whole different deal. Um, but the two coaches through the course of the movie, they learn from each other. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the big turning points, there's two key scenes um, where one learns from the other. Uh, there's one where um, Yost is telling Boone that you can't come down on the players so hard all the time. You can't chew them all out. Sometimes you got to talk, you got to build a relationship. You can't just yell and be in their face all the time. That's not going to work. Um, so Boone kind of learns from that. And then Yost um, is really protective of his players and his defense, and he wants to do his own thing. And there's a lot of battles on that. But then in the championship game, um, the other team is just scoring points on the defense, and Yost mid-game walks up to Boone and says, "You know what? It's about time that I get on board with this. We've all learned from each other. Um, you know, we've grown a lot." He goes, "I guess it's time for for me to take my medicine." It's like uh, Herman, I could use your help here because Ed Henry's kicking my butt out there. And then they work together, and they um, spoiler alert, they end up winning the championship. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the way they learn from each other in that movie, I thought was great. Well said. Well said. It's a good one. It's a Disney movie. Yes. Listen about Petey. No thanks required, Coach. Thanks. You challenged my authority in front of the entire football team, Coach. Now you think you're doing these boys a favor, taking them aside every time I come down on them, protecting them from big bad boom. You're cutting my legs from under me. Some of the boys just don't respond well to public criticism. I tell them what they need to know, but I don't humiliate them in front of the team. Which boys are you talking about? Which ones are you talking about? I come down on Bertier, I don't see you coddle him. Come down on Sunshine, don't see you grab his hand, take him off to the side. Which boys are you talking about? Now, I may be a mean cuss, but I'm the same mean cuss with everybody out there on that football field. The world don't give a damn about how sensitive these kids are, especially the young black kids. You ain't doing these kids a favor by patronizing them. You're crippling them. You're crippling them for life. Jeopardizes my ability to effectively govern this student body. All right, so I think we can move on to the extra credit. Um, our extra credit question. We got a fun one. A um, little more serious one today, Eric. Yeah. Uh, this was your idea. Um, you brought up John Gordon's three H's, and mm-hmm. we did um, a portion of that when we talked to um, Mrs. Yankaskis and Mrs. Smith a few uh, episodes ago. So um, yeah. so let's do that one. Um, 
Uh, in fact, you know more about it than I do. Why don't you explain the three H's again for those that might have missed um, the other episode? Yeah, I, I don't know that much more, but uh, like you mentioned, uh, we're stealing this from John Gordon. You and I are both self-proclaimed John Gordon mm-hmm. uh, fans. Um, read uh, You've probably read more of his books than I have, but mm-hmm. nonetheless, um, I, I can't remember off the top of my head. It's one of these up here. The uh, Power of the Positive Team is, I think, where I came across it. Okay. But it's just a, a team-building exercise, you know. Uh, both he and uh, Mike Robbins talk about that idea of lowering the waterline and, you know, exposing a little bit of yourself, the, the lower part of the iceberg, so to speak, to build connection and vulnerability on a team. And this is just one of, I'm sure, hundreds of ideas out there on how to do that and just get to know people a little bit better. So we, we did it last year with our staff, and feedback was really positive. But uh, it's called the three H's. So the basic idea is that you share three things. You share uh, with the people that are that you're sharing with. It's uh, um, so one of your heroes, one of your hardships, and it can be, and one of your highlights, and it can be anything that's really broad. It's not specific to one area of your life or personal, professional. It's whatever okay. people are, are willing to share. So, All right. um, let's just ping pong that back and forth like we did. Sure. So go ahead, Chris. So All let's right. let's start with hero. Who's the hero of yours? Yeah, uh, there's there's a lot. Obviously, I mean, you know, as we go through our careers and as our lives, even as kids, um, we come across people that influence us and make a and make a difference. Um, obviously, uh, to me, the obvious ones are my mom and my dad. Uh, my wife, um, she sets an example for me every day. Uh, my brothers are, are great examples. I've had some good teachers. Um, my little sister uh, has taught me an awful lot too. Yeah. Um, but the one that I'm going to pick kind of ties into um, what I was talking about earlier with music. Uh, when I was in college at, at Riverside City College, um, our jazz band director was uh, was a man named Roger Rickson, and he passed away uh, probably about ten years ago. But he was he was just great. I mean, he loved music. He had a passion for teaching. Um, you know, he would have uh, get-togethers at his house where, you know, he would invite us over and we'd barbecue and all that, but listen to music. Um, he's one of a handful of people in, in my life that their opinion of me really, really was a priority, that the thought of letting them down in any way was just devastating to me. And, you know, we'd be playing through something and, you know, I'd make a mistake or the band would screw up and he would he'd never get mad at us. He'd, he'd, he had an amazing sense of humor and he, and he would always, uh, oh, I wish I could remember some of his lines now, but he had, he had some great ones. I, he would mess with us. Like I'd, I'd have my trumpet packed up and I'd be walking out, uh, walking out of the band room to my next class or whatever. And I'd get around the corner down the hall and I'd hear him go, Mogger! So I go, all right, I'm going to go back and see what Raj wants. So I'd go back in, walk all the way back. Go, yeah, he goes, how far do you think you'd be if I didn't call you back right now? It's like, <laughs> probably be in my class. He goes, all right, well, have a good class. Like, you call me all the way back, and, you know, and we fall, fall for it every time. Uh, you know, every every time that he did that. Um, uh, there was just a ton of them, a uh, ton of them. I still talk to some people from that band, and we just reminisce uh, with old Roger's stories and, you know, his one-liners. Um, oh, another one, and I use this too. Um, you say, you know, Mogger, of all the trumpet players that have ever come through Riverside City College, you are definitely one of them. And they're like, oh, Thanks. Then when you think about it, wait, that's not a compliment. All he's saying is I went to school here. Feels like he left a word out. Yeah. So I use that with our teachers all the time. It would be like, you know, Ms. Sanchez, you know, I've worked with hundreds of teachers in my career. And of all the teachers I've ever worked with, you are certainly one of them. Sounds like a compliment, but it isn't. So that, that's that's another another Rogerism. But, yeah, he's he's definitely one of the heroes, and I'll, I'll remember him forever. He's great. Very you? cool. Uh, you know what? I'm going to stay a little bit closer to home on this one. So, I, you know, like you, I you know, family – always comes first family. My, uh, like you, my wife is, is certainly a, a huge part of, uh, the reason I am who I am and everything. We've been together since I was 15 years old. So she's had a huge wow. impact on the man that I've become and, that is amazing. and continue to be. It's a, it's a story for another episode, I guess. Yeah. But, uh, um, for this one, I'm going to, I'm going to go with my mom. Um, so, um, at least you two know that my mom passed away. It feels very recently, but in about 10 days, it's going to be two years already. Oh, is it? Uh, really? November wow. 13th. That's so, um, it, you know, most days it doesn't feel that way, but, um, I, you know, we, we don't truly reflect on the impact people have in our lives sometimes, unfortunately, until they're gone mm-hmm. and you start to think about yeah. all the lessons you learn and things they taught you and the impact they had. And, you know, I always knew my mom was an amazing woman and I, I saw what she did and how she, prioritize family above all else but um you know i one of the things i actually learned i think after she passed was that idea and we talk about this a lot is servant leadership and although my mom wasn't a school administrator she never held a high level position of leadership or management like that um 
but um, she was a babysitter at one point. She was an adult education teacher, um, and uh, but most importantly, and, and first of all, always, she was a, a wife and a mom. And so watching her, I think back now and reflecting on the way that she held together our household and the way that she raised my sister and I, and the way that she, we just always knew that we were more important than anything. Um, and at the time, you don't think about sacrifice on your, the behalf of your parents, right? And you're going, you don't think about the fact that what they are giving up to be able to give you the life they want you to have. And so much of the last two years is spent reflecting on it and just looking at memories and things that we did and experiences we had. And, um, you know, now really understanding what they had to do or what they had to give up or what they had to save to be able to do those things for us. And it was really always just because they wanted to provide. And of course, my parents, like most others, would always say, you know, we, we want you to be able to have things that we don't have. We want you to be able to have experiences we don't have. We want you to be able to hire this done instead of having to do it yourself. Yeah. You know, so there's some of those life lessons that both my parents taught us. But, um, but yeah, I mean, certainly my mom, uh, she, she was the one that, that she's the reason I became who I was because of, although I didn't know it at the time, but the life lessons and the things she taught me and the way that she just always never saw her get upset, never saw her frustrated, never saw her. She never, never complained. I'm not that good at that. <laughs> when I have a bad day, when I get down and things are tough, I complain. I feel sorry for myself. I know she did, but she never let the kids see it. Never let us see it. So um, I, I'm still striving to be that person that my mom was, for sure. It's kind of like a hero and a hardship in one there. It sounds it, like. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. Yeah. So my hardship, um, there's a, there's a couple, um, right now is a hardship dealing with, uh, obviously, uh, the COVID situation and, yeah. you know, what's going on with our schools, not having kids for a while. Um, but the, the one that I want to talk about was probably, probably the most difficult thing I've gone through in my life was, um, my divorce in 1999. And it kind of all happened at the same time. I got hired here as an assistant principal. Uh, right in the middle of going through the divorce. So I'm dealing with that emotionally. Um, then I'm coming to a new district, so I didn't know anybody. New area. Entirely. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and working as an assistant principal, um, just learning the job, all the challenges that that comes with. Then, uh, you know, being a single dad uh, with two young kids, um, all of that kind of at once um, emotionally and just mentally, I was all over the place and learning a new job. Uh, speaking of heroes, um, Joby uh, Yankaskis was uh, my principal at the time. And, mm -hmm. and just the grace and the patience she showed me as I was going through my struggles and everything like that. Um, yeah, you know, it's, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll forever be grateful. And we both have Joby stories. Yeah, for sure. Um, but that was just a really difficult time. And, you know, if I knew then what I knew, what I know now, uh, one of the lessons that I've learned from Mike Robbins' books and his work, um, it really resonates and it helped me later on in my life with other things, but I wish I knew back then. Um, he says in either one of his books or in his presentation, he says that whenever we're faced with a challenge or a hardship, our minds just naturally go to the worst case scenario. We create, this is going to be horrible, we catastrophize, we, we make it seem like it's going to be this horrible thing, and then all of our fear and all of our emotion wraps itself into that. Where in reality, when we think about it, not that it never happens, but how often does the worst case scenario ever actually come to pass? Hardly ever. Right. Sometimes it does. But most of the time, the way things work out are never as bad as you fear. So you spent all this anxiety and all this emotional energy and all of this fear on something that you're creating yourself. And I think if I had known that back then, it wouldn't have been easy, but it would have helped me at least wrap my head around the fact that, okay, this is going to be rough but it's nothing that I can't handle. And eventually I got through it and it was fine. But that, that period, it was probably about six months to a year of the divorce and the new job and, you know, raising young kids and all of that. That was, it was overwhelming. And it, yeah, to this day, it's probably the hardest thing I've had to deal with. Yeah. Yeah. I can imagine. Um, and I think that was probably about the time that you and I met because yeah. you know, I think you were still a pretty new assistant principal when I, when yeah, you guys hired me first or second as a year. teacher. Yeah, first or second yeah, year. I had no idea, so uh, you, you carried it well. No, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I think I can go a couple different ways here. I'd already mentioned, you know, losing my mom certainly on par with the hardest things I've had to deal with in my life, you know, losing somebody that close to me. Um, but, um, you know, you also hit on something else. I think right now, uh, school, district, 
staff, and I don't want to say administrators, teachers, administrators, classified staff across this country and quite honestly across the globe are all dealing with this this very, very difficult, unprecedented situation right now. And, you know, we think about where we've come, you know, in our district on March 13th, we shut down school. And at that time we were, we were kind of thinking, well, you know, we'll shut down for a couple of weeks. This, this will pass and we'll be back right after spring break. Yeah. You know, yeah. it is now November, what is this, the 5th? Uh, and we're still shut down yeah. and, and potentially in some of our schools, no end in sight. So, um, you know, it's been, it's been, it's been a hardship for everybody. Um, you know, I'm going to quote another, uh, another, uh, co-administrator, but one of the hardships with this is, is not being able to have the answers as a principal, as a leader, you want to be able to lead, you want to be able to, to give people comfort and information and share information with them. And so when your teachers, your staff are coming to you with their own fears, their own anxieties, their own concerns, sometimes you don't have the answers yeah. because this is so unprecedented and it's so, um, different than anything principal school ever prepared you for. Oh yeah, there's no or your emergency disaster plan. Typically ours didn't have a pandemic in it. We, no, there's no binder know, on your shelf there that says how to deal with it. We pandemic. were ready for, you know, train crashes and plane crashes <laughs> and earthquakes and fires, but you know, curveball, right? So yeah. pandemic, it's like, gosh, what do you do? So, you know, we're we we're in a position now in our district at least where we're just a couple of weeks away from opening in a hybrid model. Yeah. Um, exciting, scary. Challenging, uh, challenging, um, all those things. So, you know, it, 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 I can go on a lot, but it certainly is a hardship. But, you know, um, I even though I don't always have the answers, I, I try to be just comforting to people, yeah. reassuring. Like, you know, no matter what, we're, we're going to not know together. We're going to learn together. We're going to get through it together. And um, I really do believe, I've said this to a lot of staff, we will be better for it when, it's, when we're oh, on yeah. the other side of this. Um, you know, and the things that we've learned and, and we'll be prepared next time if God forbid this happens again. <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, so, I mean, I, certainly it is a hardship, um, and it's been hard on everybody, but it, there's been so many positives, you know, if yeah. I was to bleed into the highlights, there's lots of highlights to it as well. Oh yeah. The, the hardship, you know, and I know you and I, we come from the same place as far as building a positive culture and everything. And I know, um, I would imagine you're struggling as I am not having our full staff, uh, on campus sure. um, to work with all of the things that, that we thrive on and, you know, that I think we both consider to be our wheelhouse. Connection, yeah. Yeah, we're, it's, we're kind of um, limited in what we can do, so it forces us to be creative. And you're doing a great job with that, with the things that I see um, both of you actually doing here Thank at Lime you. Street with, your, you know, your trunk or treat and your activities and your social media stuff. So I learned a lot from, from you, Eric. Yeah, so I had this teacher talking about connection relationships. This was yesterday, maybe the day before. She was... She's had work from home a lot because she's got little kids and things like that. And so she had come for a PLC. So this was yesterday. And on her way out, she had a question for me. She, she came in and we were chatting and ended up talking for about 20 minutes. It's a good conversation, just catching up. And then she left. And then she goes and sends me a text and says, hey, thanks for the chat. I really needed it. Aww. And so I wrote back. I said, I needed it more. Come by more often. Oh, yeah. Because yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just what you're talking about. It's like missing people, not seeing people. So certainly craving that connection and that FaceTime, not on the screen, no, FaceTime with people. Just, you know. I even talk about work, just connect. No, and, it doesn't even matter. Yeah. So. All right. So, what's up? Highlights. Oh, man. This, this will be the fun part. I thought about this. Um, I want to talk about it. was a long term highlight that culminated almost exactly a year ago. Um, but eight years ago, uh, you know, I weighed 310 pounds. And um, it's as good a time as any to tell this story. I've told it a hundred times, but it, it's, it's true. Um, I was as heavy as I had ever been. I had sleep apnea. I had high blood pressure. And I was sitting at home one night watching The Biggest Loser eating a bowl of Ben and Jerry's ice cream. I, I'm not making this up. It sounds like it. And I'm sitting there, and they had this, you know, this guy was, was 600, 700 pounds. And I'm sitting there going, man, how do you let yourself go like that? Honey, give me some more ice cream here. Can you look at this guy? And they're like, oh, well, <laughs> this might be how that happens. And the part that was the real turning point for me is for about 30 seconds, I had the thoughts like, you know what? I'm happily married. I got a good job. You know, I can, yeah, I can just go the rest of my life. I'm, I'll be fine. And then I had that thought for about 30 seconds. It's like, yeah, but the health issues could kind of flare up. And then I decided to do something about it. And over the course of the next year, I lost 110 pounds. And then to keep it off, I decided, all right, I need to obsess over something else. For a year, I had obsessed over weight loss. I had kept the data how much I lost each week. It was, mm -hmm. it was ridiculous counting calories, entering it all in the app on everything. Um, so once I got to where I wanted, it's like, now I need to obsess about something else. And I thought about taking karate lessons. I thought about cycling and I said, eh, let me get into running. Um, 
And like we were talking about, if yeah. you're going to do something, do it. So before I, I was never a runner in high school. I played baseball or whatnot. Um, that was the phone. <laughs> anyway, we'll, we'll go forward. Um, I played baseball a little bit in high school, but I'd never really been a runner. So I said, oh, I can run. It's cheap. <laughs> so I thought at the time. So before I had even run a mile in training, uh, I signed up for a marathon. I Googled how long not does it take. Not a 5K, no, 10K. No. Just... Um, I Googled how long does it take to train for a marathon. And it said about um, about six months. You can train from not being a runner to be able to get through a marathon. I mean, I wasn't going to break any records or anything, but to be able to get through it and like not die would have been good. So I laid out a training plan, si- you know, signed up, and now I can't back out. I've just paid the hundred dollar whatever it was registration yeah. fee. I'm committed to it. So went through the training and ran the marathon, and then never looked back. I mean, since then I've run seven marathons. I've run. Um, 49 and a half marathons. I was all set to run my 50th when they canceled all the races. So oh I've been, my, my 50th half marathon has been on hold now for almost almost a year. Um, but the absolute highlight that I wanted to talk about is a year ago, almost to the day, last year on November 3rd, I ran the New York City Marathon. So growing up back east, um, it was really important to me to be able to deal, uh, to go back to New York uh, to run there. The two big marathons in the country are Boston and New York. For so, sure, yeah. yeah. Uh, Boston, uh, you have to qualify for. New York, you can qualify. Or if you uh, sign up with a charity, you can raise, uh, you can get a charity entry and raise money. So I signed up for the Team for Kids uh, charity to cause uh, child, you know, child activities and fitness uh, for youth. I thought that's a good enough cause uh, as any. So I raised money for that, and then I ran the New York City Marathon. And that was, like, one of the highlights of my life, really. Uh, running across the Verrazano Bridge, running through all five boroughs, ending in Central Park, uh, spending the next two days putting all those calories back in New York pizza. Um, How did you make sure that during those 26.2, is it, yeah. that you made sure that you took it all in? Because I know that that was truly once-in-a-lifetime yeah. experience. And, and I thought about that a lot uh, going into it. Because normally uh, when I'm running, you just want to get through it you know, as fast as you can. I'll usually have my earbuds in, listen to a podcast or music as I'm going. So one of the decisions that I made going on is I'm, I'm not running. I'm not going to wear my earbuds. I'm going to make sure that I experience every moment of this, that I take in the crowds. So like they said, like a million people lining the course, the whole yeah. deal. I said, and that's a good point. I said, I want to, and I didn't even go in with a specific time goal in mind because usually I want to run as fast as I can, but I didn't want to be so focused on hitting every mile split when I wanted to that I would miss the real experience. So yeah, no, no earbuds, no music. And man, the only thing that I regret, and they told you this, they told me this, everybody said, put your name on the front of your shirt. And because the crowds will address you by name if they see who you are. No, and I didn't do that. And I had my name on the back. One of our teachers, um, you know, took my took the shirt I was going to wear home, the Team for Kids jersey, put my name on the back. But it wasn't on the front. Mm-hmm. So, and then I remember the last couple of miles, there was a guy running near me named Alan. And he had his name real big on the front of his shirt. And every, every like, we'd get... 20 yards. Alan, how you doing? Hey, Alan. I'm like, man, I had only, you know, Alan was a superstar. So immediately you knew, oh, that's what I missed. Oh, man, if I ever run it again, I'll put my name on the front of my shirt because Alan was a rock star for the last three miles of the New York City Marathon. But that whole experience, the whole weekend that we were there, um, going through the five boroughs, the the crowd, all of that, it was just, yeah, and the weather was perfect. It was like, you know, mid fifties, perfectly clear, just a a great day all around. It's just, yeah, never forget. So that's, that's one of, one of the highlights for sure. Not so much lately, but I, you know, there was a good period of my life there where I was doing the same. I never got to a marathon, but ran several half marathons and it was the best shape of my life. But one of the coolest things is that, that, uh, that, Oh gosh, what do you call it? Like the, the race culture. Oh yeah. When you go to an event yeah. like that and the people and the the amount of positivity and the energy and the people that will stand on the sidelines and hand you water or just yep. like people are come driving down here just to cheer us on. Yep. They don't even know me. And they will stand there and they'll hold signs and say, You got this oh, yeah. and they'll cheer at you and they'll just clap for you. That's one of the coolest parts about it, is just it's so uplifting. And you could be the, it's, it's, you're racing against yourself, yeah, right? That's, so that's, that's it's not really competition. And no. so you'd be the last person to race, and those people are still out there cheering you on just to do your best. Well, and it does told, matter. Yeah. I know. I always tell people if you want to experience what's the best in humanity, go be a spectator uh, at the end of a marathon because you'll see kids, you'll see older people, you'll see handicapped people. You see, you know, there was one race that I went, I was in. 
uh, where there was a, a guy using a prototype of, it was basically an exoskeleton. And he was just plugging along, you know, it was just amazing to watch. And you, because everybody's got a story. Uh, one of the, one of the great, uh, one of the great lines, and I wish I remembered who it was from, um, but it said, uh, you know, the, the course from the starting line to the finish line, everybody runs the same course, but nobody runs the same course to get to the starting line. True. And, and it's just, there's so many different stories in every marathon and every half marathon that if you're just there watching at the end of the race, man, it is, it's something to behold. So, wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. And the ones of that magnitude, you get to also be a party to some of the most elite athletes oh, in the yeah. world. So you're talking about Boston, New York, you're talking about like the best runners on the globe show up for that event. Yes. Right. And they go first for obvious reasons, <laughs> but yeah. like they release them and you know, we'll watch it at home just because just the, you, you have to be in awe of the level of athleticism and the, the fine tuning and the training they go through to be, to run six, seven minute miles for 26 miles straight, yeah. which just, I've never been able to get my head around. No, and his name, his name is escaping me, but the, uh, the, 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 the male elite athlete that won the 2018 New York marathon, he was coming back in 2019, the year I ran it as a repeat. So I'm in the same race with him. So, uh, he actually, um, during the 2019 race that I was in, he had to drop out at mile eight. So technically, I beat the previous New York City Marathon champion. I actually defeated him that year. Well, that's, that's, that's the part, right? These people will train their whole life for this moment, and then mile yeah. eight, they get a cramp. Yeah. And they're done. out. You're done. done. I mean, they're you're just done. your body says, no, yeah. not today. But that's another great thing about racing, though. Like you said, you're running against the best in the world. You can't you can't take your um, Lincoln Navigator onto the Daytona racetrack and you know, race against Dale Earnhardt Jr. or whatever. You can't yeah. do it. They won't. I mean, you can try, but it wouldn't work out. And I was first... But, yeah, you can't go. You can't go take a few snaps for the Dallas Cowboys. Well, maybe you could this year. Um, Gosh, I, I think yeah, they could use <laughs> but, it honestly. Um, but no, but to, to run in a race, you're running against. Uh, you know, I've run in the same race as Olympic champions, as world record holders. It's yeah. it's pretty cool. Yeah, I finished like three hours after they do. And, you know, they're back at the hotel. You know, at the dinner, doing public speaking, and I'm like plugging along at mile eighteen or whatever. But that is. But just the idea that we're running the same path, yeah. the same distance, we're yeah. all doing the same race together. You look at the results, man. It's like. He'll be number one. I'll be number 4,863. We're on the same list. So what's, what about I've you? I've run in some local 5Ks, you know, and, like, I've seen the guys at the starting line. I'm like, there's no way. Yeah. But, like, when that when that gun goes off, I'm just going to gun it for about 50 feet. So at least for a moment I can yeah. say, I was in front of that guy before he just blows me away. Yeah. I, I could I could fill the next two hours of this with, with race stories and stuff like that, but I, th I think it's time for your highlight. Yes. Here. Yeah, so um, I'm going to come up with one really recently. So I, this one's going to involve Miss Lewis here because right. it, it was a highlight, but in a weird way it was also kind of just a reminder, a growth opportunity for me as a leader. Um, you know, you'd mentioned earlier that we had a trunk or treat last, uh, last week, and mm -hmm. I know we weren't the only ones. Multiple schools did right. something for their families, which – under these circumstances, it was one of the coolest things I've seen in a long time, a way to engage families and do it safely, creatively. Um, but this is one of those things that, like, weeks ago when we had gotten the green light for student services, like, this is what you can do, this is what you can't yeah. do. I'm like, oh, we're doing it. We're in. And, you know, I was like, I didn't even want to talk about it. It's like, this is what we're doing. We're doing it. It's on this date. It's at this time. And, uh, you know, and so Carrie here is very much a details person, and I'm not. Um, and so as the anybody gets closer, she starts asking me questions. Well, so did you think about this? She's about, I'm like, well, <laughs> you know, in my mind, I'm like, well, why? How hard can it be? They pull up, we give them candy, they pull <laughs> I up. I laugh because I'm the same way. I'm the big picture guy. Yeah, exactly. I'm the details people. But, but the growth moment for me was that not learning how to, you know, I, I sometimes get in this mindset of when I want to ask things of my staff or ask things of, of this school, of the, of the folks at the school is that, um, you know, I always feel like I don't want to burden them. I don't want to give them extra. I don't want to give them things to do. When the reality is for stuff like this, for a lot of them, it, it is not a burden. It's not. It, it's a passion. It's things they get excited about. And so it was her talking to some teachers and coming back to me and saying, you know, there's people here that want to run with this. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> and so long story short, that's what we did. We, we handed it off to a few teachers. Uh, we called a meeting. I was like, guys, this is what I'm thinking. What do you think? And they had ideas that were exponentially better than mine. Um, and I was like, that sounds fantastic. Let's do it. Why didn't I do this a long time ago? Why don't I, why didn't I lean on the people that really want to be able to take the reins on things like this and make it happen? Yeah. Especially under these circumstances, it was extremely rewarding for them to have a hand in putting something together that engaged families, made people smile, and it was way better than anything I would have done. Um, so the highlight was the event itself. I mean, I was talking to somebody this morning, you know, you know, every time at a school you had an event, there's positives and there's challenges, there's setbacks. 
there's a, there's a, a community member or family member who's upset because something didn't go the way it was mm-hmm. supposed to. So yeah. we're always one of those things. Not a single one, not a frown, not a, a crossword from a family. It was just, I've never seen anything like it. What we had, you know, cars all the way down to Sultana Street, and they were waiting 30, 45 minutes to get a piece of candy. Wow. And even then, when they pulled in, they were smiling. They were happy to see us. It was one of the coolest things I've ever seen. So compliments to Carrie, to our staff, Yay. but to our families, because, I mean, that's who we did it for. Yeah. But they came in with such a positive attitude. And, you know, part of it is just it's been so long since they've seen yeah. real yeah. people they and see their teachers in, in the flesh. And Absolutely. So that was certainly for the... For this year, probably that was been my highlight. Was that one event? As we're cleaning up, one teacher walked up. She's like, "Okay, okay, we're doing it at Christmas. We're doing bookmarks and candy canes. We're doing this yeah. again." And I was like, "That that kind of says it all right there." When your staff, as exhausted, I mean, they taught all day. They came out. We did it until six thirty, almost seven in the evening, when it was all wrapped up, and they're talking about the next one. Yeah. And that's a win for me. That was such a huge thing, and it was all them. It was not me, um, but I need to learn how to how to do that and, and give them control and and let them make good ideas even better. All right, and I think that will wrap up this episode. I think we had a nice conversation about a lot of things. Got some movie talk in there. It's never wrapped up until we do the five checks. Very good point, Miss Lewis. <laughs> uh, what do you got for us? We have four that I am able to capture. So okay. the first one that I'm going to talk about, and it's in no particular order, um, Remember the Titans, the coach that you knew the name of character-wise, but you did not know the character actor. His name is Will Patton. Will Patton, I apologize for forgetting your name, sir. <laughs> I think he's in Armageddon. I think he is. Yeah, well, that's uh, Bill Paxton. No. Uh, we'll, we'll, <laughs> no we'll, 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 we can't fact check the fact checking. Will Patton, Bill Paxton, you yeah, know. Bill Pullman. Your uh, next one, I'm going to save the marathon one, I think, okay. for last, All sir. Right. Um, the next one is Where is Big Bad Voodoo Daddies based out of? And it is actually Ventura. Okay, so sort of local, yeah. SoCal. It's local. Always I know like they've performed at like street events up in the high desert yeah. before. That's amazing. Yeah. And Stephen King's novella. You were talking about trying to figure out what the series was. His novella series was actually titled Different Seasons. Okay, that's right. And my last yet favorite fact check <laughs> <laughs> um, is actually the winner of the 2018 New York City Marathon. Um, that you defeated the following year, correct? Because yes. your time was ahead of his. Is that correct? Am yeah. I saying it that way? He didn't finish. So uh, I, I finished, he didn't. Yeah. I win. It's not, it's not really <laughs> so that's when it's, works. yeah, it's no longer, I'm just trying to compete against myself. I was actually competing against him because he had won the year. He before. wasn't competing against him until he dropped out of the race. <laughs> exactly. That's very And in that moment, it's like, I think I got a shot. <laughs> I just didn't have the chance to see deceased on the that's side right. of the road or I would have. Right. Yeah. Like, so no, to no. honor your win, his yes. name was. Was Lisa de Sisa. La Lisa de Sisa. There you go. I don't know how I forgot that. <laughs> you may hear this someday and challenge you to a race. <laughs> that would be awesome. <laughs> that would be awesome. I will be there to watch that with the side yelling, Mogger! <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, thank you, Carrie. Um, all right. So that'll wrap up this episode. Uh, we'd like to thank you all for listening, of course. And please take a minute or two to rate, review, or subscribe to Alone With Our Principles on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you very much. And don't forget, we're now on Facebook, too. So That's right. Facebook.com slash Alone With Our Principles. Yep. Check us out. All right. We're going to put some fun content up there. All right. Take care, everybody. Bye. Bye. still here? It's over. Go home.